Welcome to Studio Tulsa. I'm Rich Fisher. For more than 30 years, Nancy Pearl and I have been talking about books and reading recommendations on the radio. First, just on KWGS, and since 1992 on this program, Studio Tulsa. And over those 30-odd years, Nancy has gone from being a librarian here in Tulsa to Seattle, where she pioneered innovative book reading programs, began doing commentary for KUOW, the public radio station there, and NPR's Morning Edition. And today is known as a nationally known reading and author's advocate. She's the author of her own novel, as well as a number of books on books and reading recommendations. She's also edited interviews she's done with authors about their inspirations and motivations. She's now known as America's Librarian. In fact, in 2021, she won the National Book Awards Literarian Award for Outstanding Service to the American Literary Community. And through all of that, she always had time for us here in Tulsa and here on Studio Tulsa. So it's only fitting as our program enters our final week. We have one more good conversation about some great books for summer reading. After all, it is summertime, and whether you're going to someplace wonderful for vacation or just hanging out, fixing roofs here in Tulsa, you need some good books for traveling or the downtimes. Today's selections have some books I'll certainly be checking out, and I'm sure you'll have something that will go on your reading list as well. So, one more time, Nancy Pearl is my guest today on Studio Tulsa. Nancy Pearl, it's such a pleasure uh, to speak with you. Uh, you know, who knows if we'll speak again down the road, but uh, I'm so happy to have you on this last week at Studio Tulsa. Rich, we've known each other a really long time, and I don't know what to say. We both joined Phi Beta Kappa at the University of Tulsa <laughs> in the same event. Yeah. I feel like, you know, it's been a long time, Rich. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, you've put together a wonderful list for summer reading. You know, it's all sorts of genres, but I tell you the one criteria between all of these books seem to be really different and really interesting ways they approach the genre of writing they're writing in. And it starts with a all-out satire right off the bat by Nana Kwame Ajay uh, Brinya. This is called Chain Gang All-Stars, and this is crazy Jonathan Swift off-the-hook satire. <laughs> That is a great comparison with Jonathan Swift. I mean, this is really the best way I can describe this is Hunger Games for grown-ups. And, you know, the best satires take what's happening in our contemporary, the contemporary society in which the author is writing and really turn it on its head and make us see how ridiculous, how often awful what is happening is that we can see it better when it's written in a satirical, you know, often funny, painful, hard to read sometimes because it's so close to the bone. And this is the story, you know, we're a little bit in an America-like situation. There are private prisons. And what how that works out is that you can win your freedom from prison if you survive a certain number of gladiator, gladiatorial um, fights. And this is about two women, two top gladiators who who meet in, you know, a fight for life or death. And it means everything to both of them. Oh, my gosh, this book was like a punch. You know, it's 
sometimes you just read these books and you think, how did the author come up with that idea? You know, and then you think, oh, yeah, I could sort of see <laughs> the steps down the road that what? could lead us in that direction. You know, you if you ever see wrestling on television, which, again, is entertainment, not it's you know, it's not real, plus MMA, which is very real and right. entertainment television and the uh, reality television, it's satiring all of this. And again, our penchant for. Uh, wanting crime and punishment to focus on the punishment part. And uh, right. this sounds like a, it just sounds like a, a very, at times tough to read book, but it sounds like the, the beauty of the writing keeps you going and just the sheer audacity of the writing, I suppose. That's probably yes. the best way to put yep. it. I mean, I thought about um, roller derby back in the day. My father was a really, a really big fan of roller derby, and we used to watch it on television. We went to roller derby matches, and there were two top women, you know, one roller derby stars, one from New York, one from Los Angeles. And they just, I mean, I don't know if it was real fighting or not, but that, I was reminded of that. And, you know, the way... When you see something awful, you just sort of stop and it's hard to take in. And and that's kind of the way I felt about this book. The writing is great. The plot just moves along and you really care about these women a lot. Yeah, I, I think one reviewer referred to it as having the prose style of Joe Rogan, but uh, <laughs> with, with the prose, uh, you know, it's what you expect Joe Rogan to say but with the prose style of Toni Morrison. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> well, it's Chain Gang All-Stars. You know, when we talk about summer reading and beach reading, uh, the next book is right up that alley of lightness and sort of uh, gossipy. Uh, you know, Tina Brown, this is a book from last year, The Palace Papers right. Inside the House of Windsor. So uh, why did you put this on the list? And tell us what you liked about the book. Well, you know, I'm such an Anglophile, and I right. tend to, I'm a huge fan of, of Kate Middleton, um, who will be Queen of England someday. I mean, I just, from what I just read, this is my secret that I'm letting out because it's the last studio, Tulsa. <laughs> I mean, I, I am a big fan of Kate Middleton, and I think she's probably a great mother, and I admire that. And Tina Brown, if anybody knows British royalty, it's Tina Brown, um, who was editor of, um, among other magazines, the Tatler, uh, Vanity Fair, and then the New Yorker, before she left the New Yorker to go to Talk magazine. And she had written a biography of Diana, and this is really a book about the younger Windsor's about, um, I, although she t does talk a little bit about Diana, she does talk a little bit about Camilla and uh, the, the, the now king and queen. But really what this focuses on is, um, you know, Meghan and Harry and Kate and William. And you, no matter which side you're on, Team Kate or Team Meghan, you really will get a lot of good, juicy information to back up your belief in which one is the better one. 
And of course, Tina Brown is, is one of those journalists that always could spill the tea, if you will. Yes. And this came out, as you said, this came out in 2022. So it came out before Prince Harry's book, uh, before his biography co-written with J.R. Moringer, um, Spare, which I haven't read, uh, and nor do I intend to. But I did love this book. It's perfect reading. Right. Tina Brown's The Palace Papers Inside the House of Windsor, The Truth and the Turmoil. Well, up next is, I think this is could be a book of the year sort of uh, book, and that is Tim Egan, who's written such wonderful books about the Dust Bowl and and the great forest fires of the West, uh, and among other things. His uh, latest is about uh, the rise of the Ku Klux Klan in middle America back in the 1920s, a fever in the heartland. And we had Tim as a a guest, and it's just an amazing book to understand how big a pull the Klan had on the governments of Indiana and other states during the 1920s. Yeah, I mean, Tim Egan is one of our best narrative nonfiction writers, you know, hands down. He's a journalist. He writes, does occasional writing for the New York Times, I think. And, you know, we tend to think of the Ku Klux Klan being mainly in the South. But through the research that Tim Egan did, really in the 1920s, the Ku Klux Klan was focused on the North, northern country, northern states, led by a man named D.C. Stevenson, who has to be one of the most despicable, depraved leaders of, of an organization. And he had a plan to take over the state governments, and then he fully intended to be president. And with the way things were going, it didn't seem that didn't seem an unlikely ambition of his in the sense that, you know, the the percentage of men and women, because there was a women's auxiliary organization of the Ku Klux Klan, um, it didn't seem unlikely that that he could achieve that ambition, which is very scary. Um, So not only were they anti-Black, but they were anti-Jewish, anti-Catholic, everything anti except what they were. And as Tim Egan writes in this book, they were brought down really by a deathbed confession, a deathbed account, not really a confession, I guess a deathbed account of D.E. Stevenson and his just awful behavior. So that's really interesting. So it's partly a courtroom drama as well. And Tim, you know, Tim has really, I think, made a career of writing, um, taking a time period or an event that we're very familiar with and looking at it from a different viewpoint. So we think of the 1920s as, you know, the Charleston and F. Scott Fitzgerald, all, all of that kind of thing. And here he's showing a really darker side of the 1920s, a really dark time in American history. Um, the way he looked, you know, when we think about the Dust Bowl, we think about, you know, the people who went to California, the people who went west, John Steinbeck's account, Grapes of Wrath. But what he did in that wonderful, wonderful book about the Dust Bowl was talk about the people who stayed And I just think Tim does such a good job. He's such a good writer. And this is really a page turner. 
I think yeah. you probably agree, Rich. <laughs> I do. It, it really is a, a, a good book. It, it, it is shining light on this personality who really had so many mechanisms of government in his back pocket that he felt like he was untouchable, and he acted that way. And finally, yes. a woman who he kidnaps and rapes, in fact, commits suicide because of this, on her deathbed, tells the whole story. And that was the downfall of this heinous man. Uh, and it is told beautifully. It's titled A Fever in the Heartland by Tim Egan. My guest today is Nancy Pearl, our longtime book reviewer, as we talk about some great summer reading. And there are some really good books on this list. And the next one is another satire, uh, not quite as <laughs> savage as a Jay Brenya's book, but Christine Grillo's Hestia Strikes a Match. What is the premise of Hestia yes. Strikes a Match? Yeah, so th um, this is a book set in a recognizable USA. This could be today, except it would be today when the North and South are again um, fighting one another. Uh, there's another civil war. This is not really fighting in the streets. This is not like Appomattox or any of those big battles. This is mostly domestic terrorism between the North and the South. And the main character is a woman in her 40s named Hestia. Um, her parents are classic scholars, classic professors. Uh, she lives in the North. And she, her husband has left about three years before to fight for the North, and she hasn't heard from him. She has no idea if he's um, living or dead. And so she takes a job at a retirement community and really makes it her, what she really wants to do is uh, find somebody in her life, uh, find another man in her life. So she joins a bunch of dating apps, and in between the story of what it's like to live in an America at war, you get all of her experiences with the men that she meets on Tinder and Match and um, whatever the other ones are that she um, that she signs up for. Um, but they're, it's so smart and it's funny. And it just, um, I, this just, I, I thought this was just really, really entertaining to read. One of the things that, that she does in this book is that um, her parents decide to move to the South. And, you know, she's just really, really angry at them for doing that. And, and, and they say, well, you know, we're not racists. We don't notice anybody's color. And I mean, just all the tropes of that come out um, in her parents' behavior and the things that they say. So it's really smart. Um, it's so rare you run across a book like this. And I just um, I just so much enjoyed it. And it's a first novel as well. Hestia Strikes a yeah. Match, Woman Looking for Love During the Second American Civil War. <laughs> What, what can be, what can go wrong there? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Up next is a book from last year, Mark Haber's uh, St. Sebastian's Abyss. Okay, so, so Rich, you know, I believe that people need to give a book a chance before they decide whether they're going to like it or not. But I think I can confidently say with this book, which I loved, that you are going to know whether you want to continue reading it after about 10 pages. Um, so 
this meets my criteria for a funny, quirky book. And, and I do love a little bit of quirk in, my, in the novels that I read. So this is about two men who meet when they're both art history students, and they fall in love with the same painting, and they spend their subsequent careers as art historians writing books and I'm not talking one or two books. I'm talking about like an output of six or seven books for each man, all about the same painting. Um, it's a painting from the Dutch Renaissance by a painter named Count Hugo Beckenbauer. And the painting is called St. Sebastian's Abyss. Now, I, just to save people time, because I spent a lot of my uh, my time <laughs> trying to find this painting and find <laughs> more about the author of this, the, the artist, um, this, this is entirely invented. There is no Count Beckenbauer and there is no painting St. Sebastian's Abyss. So these two men, um, you know, become, as we say these days, frenemies, because one accuses the other of having done a horrible, well, one, one says something horrible about the other one. And the book opens when the person who supposedly said the terrible thing gets an email from the other man who is dying and he wants to see him. So they, this is all in retrospect, more or less. Now, but what this does is just give you such a sense of these people who are so obsessed with this painting and what their lives are like now now the, these two these two art historians one of them broke up because the two wives subsequent wives of the person who said the the terrible things supposedly Neither one of them liked the other man, so his two marriages have broken up, which he does hold against this other guy. I mean, I, this book is impossible to explain except to say that it's about these obsessive art historians. And it's, I mean, I just adored this book. It's kind of like the high stakes politics of a small time intellectual dispute. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Mark, yeah. Mark Haber. It, I mean, there's a lot of. Verbal repetition in the writing. It's a small book. It's just a delight. St. Sebastian's Abyss by Mark Haber. Your next book is a new book uh, by Asma Zahanat Khan. And uh, it's a, a detective uh, police procedural. Tell us about Blackwater Falls. Yeah, so Blackwater Falls is a new series by um, Asma Khan. Her first series was set in Toronto. And I have to say the first book in that series, which is called The Unquiet Dead, is was just, I really, really enjoyed it. I listened to it uh, as an audio book. And um, she's, she's a civil rights uh, or human rights attorney. And so all of her books are going to be concerned with human rights in some way. And in her new series, and, and Blackwater Falls is the first one of that series, it's about a Muslim detective. It's set in a small town in California, Blackwater Falls. And there has been in that small town three immigrant girls 
are missing, and very little has been done by the police force to investigate their their disappearance. But then another girl is found dead in the local mosque. Another Muslim girl is found dead in the local mosque. And uh, Detective Anaya Rahman is one of the people investigating it. And it's a, it's a good mystery, um, a, quite a good mystery. And I think that Anaya Rahman's experiences as a Muslim woman, both in, on the police force in Chicago, where she was prior to coming to Denver, are, are interesting to read about, as well as the mystery itself. Lots of social issues. All right. Black Waterfalls by Asma Khan. Uh, another new book uh, set in the 1800s in Aust- Australia, I believe, Fiona McFarland's yep. The Sun Walks Down. So this is a second novel by uh, Fiona McFarlane. I, have not, I did not read her first novel, uh, but I was so glad that I read this one. The Sun Walks Down is a historical novel. It's set in 1883 in a small outback town of Australia called Fairley. And um, it's the summer, it's um, hot, it's dusty, and a six-year-old boy goes missing during a dust storm. And what we get in this book through a variety of viewpoints, which is how the author has chosen to present this novel, is a, a picture of Australia at that time of you know, so you get the colonial, you start to understand Australia's position as as a colony of Britain. So you have, in, in this variety of viewpoints, you have indigenous trackers looking for the little boy, artists who have come to that small town to paint it, school teachers, policemen, the boy's family. And all of these characters are so well developed and the tension this is not a mystery really this is at all it wouldn't be found in the mystery section at all but I have to say I'm just confessing this to you Rich this is the second thing I've confessed on this show already Um, I when I was reading this book the tension was so great for me that I had to turn to the last chapter of the book to find out what happened well, I so, guess I guess that's a tribute to the quality of the writing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. It's a yep. beautiful book and the co- the cover is just perfect. You know, we don't judge books by their cover. Haha. Ha. But um but this this whoever did the cover, I wish I had written down the co- who did the cover design, did a great job of capturing what the book is. That's Fiona McFarland's The Sun Walks Down. My guest today is Nancy Pearls. We talk about some great summer reading today on Studio Tulsa. And another first novel is next, Joanna Quinn's The Whalebone Theater, which sounds, again, historical you know, fiction. And what's special about this book? What's special about this book is that it really is immersive. It's the kind of novel that you just fall into and you become so attached to the characters and you just don't want to leave that the, the way that the author has set up the story. You, you just, you know, these, these novels come along um, not that often, I think, but this is one of those really immersive novels. Um, it is a first novel, good for Joanna Quinn. It's kind of unbelievable that a first novel could be this good. 
Um, it takes place from about 1919 after World War, directly after World War I, through World War II. And um, it's the story of, we meet her first as a little girl, Christabel Seagrave, and her half-brother and half-sister, Digby and Florence. Now, when they're kids, little kids, a, the, a whale washes up on the shores of the English Channel. And Christabel and all the whales, like the swans, all the whales, as I understand it, belong to the queen. <laughs> um, and at this time... At that time, it would have been a king, I believe. But it, but they should have reported the whale and the whatever. But Christabel decides that she wants to turn it into a theater and put on, put on shows there. <laughs> and so gradually, as the book goes on, the children get older and older. The world changes. Pretty soon, World War II is on the horizon, and all this acting and directing that Christabel and her brother and sister have done really plays a part in what they choose to do during World War II. Great book. Absolutely. Great novel. Joanna Quinn, The Whalebone Theater. Okay, one last book, and this is another <laughs> new book, and it's by Benjamin Stevenson. Everyone in my family has killed someone which has got to be yeah. one of the top titles of all time. <laughs> it is. And I would not have picked up this book. I, 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 that's not a title that, that, you know, drew me in at all. But um, for some reason, I did pick it up, and I just thoroughly, this is a, just a great mystery. It's really a takeoff on the golden age of mysteries where, you know, there's a list of 10 rules um, written by Ronald Knox, about how, you know, what should be in a mystery, what should not be in a mystery, how you should present um, uh, the evidence, all, all those kinds of things that golden age mystery writers, the 1920s to the 1930s British mystery writers adhered to, the, to this, more or less adhered to this. Agatha Christie is a golden age mystery writer, as is Dorothy Sayers. So the main character in this book, this is set in the present, the main character in this book is um, Ernie Cunningham, and he is a fan of Golden Age mysteries. And there is one of the things that happened to Ernie Cunningham before the book opened is that he turned in his brother for a crime that the brother committed and the brother um, went to jail. But the brother is now coming out of jail and there's going to be a family reunion at a mountain resort in the dead of winter, a <laughs> ski resort. Um, they're the only people there. And, of course, a dead body is found. <laughs> well, and I, I was reading about this book, and I, I think one reviewer said, it, this book and its author are cleverer than you and wants you to know it. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I wish I had written that. Yeah. That's, that's very good. But it, but it sounds yeah. like if there's such a thing as a fourth wall in, in reading a book, this mystery sort of breaks the fourth wall to tell you what's happening. Totally. Totally. He's addressing us as readers. So he knows we're there and he's he's like winking at us. Sounds like a yeah. fun book. It's a, it's a great list of books for summer reading. That is Benjamin Stevenson's Everyone in My Family Has Killed Someone. Nancy, it's been a pleasure, and thanks again for joining us today. 
Oh, totally my pleasure, Rich. Thanks for asking me. Nancy Pearl speaking with us here on Studio Tulsa for over 30 years. She has been my book reviewer here, and I'm so grateful and honored that she has been offering her reading recommendations over those 30 years. Thank you, Nancy. And of course, as always, we have her reading recommendations on our website at publicradiotulsa.org. Look for the Studio Tulsa tab under Programs, and you can see the list of today's books. Well, that's Studio Tulsa for today. Our program is produced and edited by Scott Gregory. The views of our guests and commentators are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views of KWGS or its licensee, the University of Tulsa. I'm Rich Fisher. Thanks for listening.